So, in the true spirit of Thanksgiving this morning, as we bring this uh, Thanksgiving week to a close, I thought I would speak on something very important and very needful for today. I thought I would speak about the sin of gluttony. How many of you already feel convicted and ready for the altar call? Let me see your hand. <coughs> I'll be the first one down, that's for sure. <coughs> no, in all, actually in all seriousness, I want to wrap up this wonderful week with what I think is an important message on the true value of, of thankfulness, being truly thankful. I want you to be interactive with me here for just a couple of minutes as I ask you, uh, ask you a question. If Jesus sat down right next to you and He said to you, what is the one thing that I can do for you? Anything. Doesn't matter what it is, any miracle that you need, just ask anything. He said, if He came to you and He said, what is the one thing I could do for you? How many of you by raised hand know exactly what you would ask of Him? Raise your hand. You know exactly. Okay. Let me ask you this, and what would you do if He answered it? Isn't it interesting sometimes when we ask of the Lord, um, I know I've had this happen, pray and pray and ask God to do something, and He does it, and then you're surprised by it that He does. Have you ever had that happen to you? I have. How many of you think that if God gave you that miracle that you are asking for, that thing that is on your mind today, that you'd be pretty grateful? Let me see your hand if you think you'd be grateful for that. Well, today we're going to look and see someone who had his prayer answered, actually 10 people who had that prayer answered and how they responded. Last Monday in our uh, morning, uh, Monday morning staff devotions, our campus media director, Michael Bell, led our staff devotions so very appropriately from Luke chapter 17, which is where we're going to be going in just a moment, in a story that is familiar to many, if not most of us. Uh, it's so appropriate because it is a terrific lesson to us on being grateful for what the Lord has done. It's so appropriate for this week of Thanksgiving. I, I, was, I was inspired by what Michael Bell shared, um, and so I, I just went home and began to look at it a little further, and I, I wanted to expose the passage to you today. So follow along with me, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, I wanted to read it out of the real Bible, but going to need these glasses to read. How many know what I'm talking about? As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As He entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, and they were crying out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy upon us. And He looked at them and He said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. How many came back? How many were healed? <clears throat> One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, because your faith 
has healed you. Some versions say your faith has made you whole. Let me just take a minute and put this passage into context for you. When Moses brought the children of Israel across the Red Sea, and there were more than two million of them, God commanded them not to marry outside that group of people because if they did that, they would lose their lineage and their spiritual heritage. However, as you know, many of them did marry outside that group. And those who did, they married people who were called Gentiles. How many Gentiles do we have in the room today? But the Gentiles were despised by the Hebrews, by the Jewish people, because one of the most vile things you could possibly do as a Jew was to marry someone who was not a Jew, for in so doing you would delude your heritage. Typically, if you had married outside of your Jewish faith, then you would have to move from your homeland, and a large group married outside the Hebrew race, and they married and they moved to Samaria. So when you said Samaria to a Jew, they thought that's where those mixed-breed people are. Now, today, we know what mixed-breeds produce, right? Good-looking kids, that's what they produce. But to the Jewish people… The Samaritans were a foreign people and were more despised than the Gentiles because they had had, they'd had a royal heritage, but they had destroyed it in the minds of the Jewish people. So Jesus is walking in the area of the border right between uh, Galilee and, and Samaria when He encountered these ten men who were lepers. Now, in biblical times, the way you knew you had leprosy was that you would get a, a white dot or, or, or a sore somewhere that would not heal. And the doctors at that time were the priests, and so you would go to the priest, and if he saw the sore and it was white, and he determined that it was leprosy, then he would pronounce you to be a leper. And for all practical purposes, from that point on, your life is over because you lived outside the city in a leper colony with other lepers. You could no longer associate with your family. You could no longer associate with your friends. You, you, you had nothing further to do with the things that you owned, the, the things that you had always done. It was all over because you were now a leper and you were assigned to live in this leper colony. You could not attend weddings. You could not attend funerals. You could not be any place where other people were because you might infect them with your disease. Your life as you had known it heretofore was done because you had been and declared a leper. It would have been um, similar to what we had in the 80s and 90s with the AIDS epidemic. Everyone stayed away from you because there was no cure. Jesus is walking along this borderline between Galilee and Samaria, and, uh, and according to the law of the Old Testament, any person who was a leper, had leprosy, had to stay at least 100 yards away or a football field away from those who were not lepers. And when anyone came close to them, if you were a leper, if anyone came close to you, the leper was responsible to yell out something. It was their responsibility to do that. And who knows what they were supposed to yell out? I can't hear you. You got it. Unclean. I am unclean. You cannot come near to me because I have an infectious disease. But as Jesus is starting to pass by, these lepers have heard about Him. 
They've heard that He's made the blind to see, that He's made the, the lame to walk, He has made the deaf to hear, and they heard that He's performing miracles everywhere that He goes, and that He had even raised the dead. And the stories had come to them that if anyone, anyone at all, had the possibility of giving them hope, it had to be Jesus. How many know that if you had been… Uh, been uh, declared to be a leper, and your life essentially was over as you had always known it, you'd be glad to see Jesus passing your way. Can I get an amen to that today? And our text tells us that as Jesus was walking along, though at an appropriate distance, they saw Him coming, and they started to cry out. And what do you think they cried out? They cried out His name like we sang this morning, Jesus, 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 have mercy upon us. With everything within them, the desperation of their cry was there, and they were calling out the name of Jesus. And from more than a hundred yards away, Jesus yells back at them, go show yourselves to the priest, because the only person who could pronounce you clean and give you the ability to go back to your family and to your life as you had known it was the one who had previously pronounced you to be a leper. So put yourself in this moment with me. They're a hundred yards away from Jesus. They've just cried out to Him, have mercy upon us. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. Can't you imagine that if that was the only hope they had, can't you see these ten lepers taking off in a dead heat to get to the priests. But the Bible says, and what makes this particular story so fascinating, the Bible says that as they went, one of them saw that he had been healed. Now, I think there's a lesson in this. This caught my attention this week. I think there's a lesson in this for us. Do you realize that when most of us pray for a miracle, we don't want a miracle, we want magic. You know what magic is? Magic is when something appears from nothing. You know what a miracle is? A miracle is when you do your part and then God does His part. Now think about that with me for a moment. While He was going on His way, while He was obeying Jesus, doing exactly what Jesus had said to do, instead of, it could have played out this way, He could have had a response that says, yeah, I've heard that stuff before. I've heard about this Jesus. You know, people have said all kinds of things about Him. Nothing ever happened. It probably isn't true. I, I don't know. I sure don't want to get my hopes up. No, He didn't say that. The Bible says he went obeying God, but while he was on the way, along with the other nine, he realized, I've been healed. He has actually touched me. That is a miracle. You do your part, and God does his part. Somebody give me a hallelujah for that today. And please let me just… Um, show you what the Amplified Version says. I, I always check out several different versions when I'm preparing to speak to you. I want you to see what the Amplified, 
Amplified Version said happened at that moment because it says it so graphically and so wonderfully well. You know, that's the version that will often have the captions behind many phrases that kind of give you the fullest meaning of the Greek that's being used. When you look at Luke 17, 15, and 16 from the Amplified, it says this, and then one of them, this is referring to that, this moment right here, then one of them, upon seeing that he was cured, turned back, recognizing and thanking and praising God with a small, quiet, soft voice. I think the man found his outside voice. How about you? I think there's some of us in this room today that need to find our outside voice when it's time to thank God. That we are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We are not ashamed of the fact when God touches us and heals us and does something supernatural for us, we know what it is to turn back, recognize what He does, and with a loud voice, give thanks to the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, this is the same voice that cried out, Jesus, 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 have mercy on me. It's the same voice now that has turned back around to come back and say, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And verse 16 says, and he fell prostrate at Jesus' feet, and this is the part I love, thanking him, see the little brackets, over and over and over and over. That's a thankful heart. And Jesus said in the very next verse, verse 17, um, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to the one who had returned to thank him, Arise. Hey, buddy, get up. I added the buddy part. Get up. Stand up and go. Because you know what? Your faith has healed you. And many of the versions say your faith has made you whole. Here are ten people who got the miracle they prayed for. God answered that one prayer for these ten men. And yet instead of returning to give glory to God, only one came back. Did you know that, the one, that one of the great signs of a culture that is in demise one of the great signs of a culture that is in destruction is that they can honor no one and they can't be thankful for anything. It's one of the signs of a culture in demise. Romans 1 makes this clear to us. Let me show it to you. Romans 1. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him, or they would not honor Him as God, or even give Him thanks. And you know what, church? That's only true of a culture in demise. The same thing can be true of a person in demise. One of the first signs that you'll see of a person who's in demise is they cannot remember to thank God for what He has done. It's one of the first marks of rejecting God. 
There comes a, a resistance to gratitude, a resistance to worship, a resistance to giving honor. And yet, today, you and I live in the most God-blessed nation in the history of the world. Do we really ever fully realize how blessed we are? Let's go back 100 years. It's not 2017, it's the year 1917. I happen to know my grandparents were alive at that time. They were in their early teens, but nevertheless they were alive. Let's say you're the, the great-grandfather and you've been working all day in the fields or you had to start off uh, walking for two hours today to get into town for work. And then two hours when you come home, the kids have already eaten and you're walking and now it's dark. You left in the dark in the morning and now you're, you're coming home in the dark. And you look at your wife to say, is there, any more, is there any more food left? And she says, yes, honey, let me put some more uh, wood under the, the fire of the stove and I'll warm it for you so that you can eat in about an hour. So that you can get up the next morning and start that process all over. That's what 1917 kind of looked like. And let's say that you, you miss your child who moved away and you want to write to them. Well, you get out some ink and paper and you write a letter. I'm not sure the young people know what that is. And, and, and so that when you go into town on Saturday for your weekly visit into town to the grocery store, if the weather's right, you're going to put this letter at a thing called the post office and then once a week, a carriage comes through carrying mail and picking up mail, and just maybe some weeks later, your letter finally arrives to your child. Now, that's your great-grandparents. Do you know what your great-grandfather was praying for as he was walking to, uh, walking to work for two hours? He was praying for a horse. Wanted a horse. How many of you remember your first car? Raise your hand if you remember your first car. In fact, shout out to me what your first car was. Okay. When I married Becky 43 years ago, she's never forgiven me for this, I don't think. She had the coolest 1969 Chevrolet Camaro. She was hot in that car, let me tell you. She lived on a farm, and you had to, from the highway, you had to go about a mile. Uh, north on this gravel road, and she left the dust a-flying when she went down that road. And I've spent our entire marriage regretting that we ever traded that beauty off. <clears throat> My first car, on the other hand, was a 1967 Rambler. American Motor Corporation, some of you will remember. Well, I don't care how pitiful your first car was, your great-grandfather would have given his right arm to have your first car, whatever it was. That's what it was like. Do we live in a blessed nation or not? And you stand at the microwave, tapping your foot, wondering why it is taking so long for that food to warm up. It's almost been a whole minute, right? And you miss your child who lives in another city, and you say, I do not know what's wrong with that child. I've been trying to FaceTime her all day long, and she's been declining it every time. That's 2017. Or maybe you say, could you change that channel? Can you put it on channel 1,642? I don't like 
1,364. I need a channel in HD, right? That's what I need. Come on, can we be real about it? We are in the most God-blessed nation in the world. And yet, our nation is filled with complainers and people who seem to have absolutely no propensity whatsoever toward gratitude. We are ungrateful, and our great-grandfathers would have envied any one of our amenities that we have today. Wouldn't believe it. Well, there are five things that this leper did that I want to bring to you in my few minutes that remain. Five things. You, You may want to get a pencil and paper and write this down. Five things that I think mark the heart of everyone who is truly thankful. It was just very simple to read through the passage over and over and over. There's five things that kind of leap off the page here that mark the heart of someone who is truly thankful. I just noticed them as as I read through. Number one, thankfulness moves you to do things that others are unwilling to do. Can you say that with me? Thankfulness moves. Okay, that was kind of weak and pitiful. Do it again. Thankfulness. These 10 men wanted more than anything else, a miracle of being healed of their leprosy. As I've already described to you, there's no lack of motivation for why they wanted to be healed, just to get their life back. They'd missed their families, weddings, funerals, important occasions in the lives of their kids. They missed birthdays, anniversaries. They were so ready to be back with their family. But church, hear me. No matter how anxious you are about moving on and getting to whatever else it is that you think you've got to get to, No matter how anxious you are, you are never too busy to go back and thank God first for what He has done for you. We cannot be too busy to wake up first thing in the morning and give God thanks that He's given us another day. I've heard Pastor Des say it so many times. Every day is a gift. Every day, you may be, have aches and pains when you get up and take a while to get everything kind of moving and flowing. I understand that, trust me. But every day is a gift, and you ought to wake up every morning and thank God for it. Come on, put your hands together right now and bless the Lord for that. <laughs> Thankfulness moves you to do things others are not willing to do. Do you know what the word resent means? We've all said it at one time or another. I, I really resent that. I really resent, re- resent that she said that. I, I really resent that he, he did that. Well, here's what that word means. It means to relive. To relive. So that when someone has done something painful to you and, and that comes up again and someone may say, well, do you remember when you were nine years old that this happened? And remember when you were a little kid? Remember when you were a teenager and, 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 and he said that to you or, or she said that to you? You remember what she did or remember what he did? And just a mention of that person's name, someone's name comes up and you feel it all over from your head to your toe. You are reliving the experience. Do you know what thankfulness is? It's the same thing, just the opposite. Just the opposite. Someone's name comes up, and when their name comes up, 
inwardly or either inwardly or outwardly, you say, man, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for him. I'm so thankful. Do you know how, how they have blessed me? Can I just tell you how they helped me? Do you know what a difference they, they made in my life? Do you know that when I was in a, really in a bind, I had my back against the wall, they came through for me? Can I just tell you how grateful I am for Do you know when I was a kid, I didn't ever tell you this. When I was a kid, they took me in. They gave me a place to stay. They fed me food. You know what? I, let me tell you why I'm grateful for him. He took a chance on me. I was new in this business, and I was as green as I could be, and he gave me my first contract. I'm so grateful for him. Thankfulness is going back to the act and reliving it all over again in the same way that someone who resents relives it all over again. It's coming back to the scene of the gift and remembering what someone did for you. Thankfulness always comes back just like the leper did. Number two, thankfulness allows you to hear things that unthankful people never hear. Say it with me. Come on, with gusto. Come on. Thankfulness pulled this right from the passage. When he returned, Jesus said to that thankful leper, my friend, arise, get up, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now note this, they all stood a hundred yards away from Jesus. They all cried out, heal me, have mercy on me. But only one of them got healed to get as close to Jesus as he possibly could. You missed that completely. Lots of people want healing. Lots of people want to be rid of their pain. Lots of people want their disease to be gone. Some people want to be healed for the purposes of getting close to Jesus. And there's a big difference. In nearly 40 years on staff here at Bethesda, Becky and I have walked with a lot of people through tragedy. And you know what we've discovered? It's very clear to see that some people take that tragedy and it draws them close to God. And yet there are others who will take tragedy and somehow allow it to push them so far away from God. I'm going to give you a phrase you've heard so many times, but it's true. Life's difficulties either make you bitter or better. The I makes the difference, and the I is you. Thankfulness draws you close to Jesus. Thankfulness draws you close to Him and allows you to hear things that unthankful people never get to hear. Number three, the third mark on the heart of a truly thankful person is this understanding. Thankfulness gives glory to God. Come on, say it back to me. When I am thankful, truly thankful, it makes God so much bigger in my eyes. There's a phrase I want to kind of give you here this morning at this point. It is this, my focus determines my feelings. Can you say that with me? My focus. Let me prove it to you. Has anyone here, men, you can raise your hand. Ladies, you're not allowed to raise your hand. Has anyone here ever looked in the mirror and determined that you need to lose some weight? 
What a terrible weekend for me to ask you this. Okay, then some of you may have determined you need to lose weight and you started working out. And if so, how many of you, after two days of working out and thinking that you need to lose weight, how many of you thought you started looking better after two days? Well, we all know it's not true because you're still wearing the same pants. You're still having to breathe in to get them fastened, right? Right? But here's the deal. Why do you feel like you're losing weight after dieting, working out for only two days? It's because your focus determines your feelings. Your focus determines your feelings. Our 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, said, comparison is the thief of joy. Don't focus on what you don't have and don't focus on what your friends do have. Your focus determines your feelings. And here's the reality, dear one. All of us have things that are going on in our lives, in our world, that if you make that your one point of focus, if it's your focus is that one unanswered prayer, if your focus is uh, that one area where you've not yet received your miracle, if it's that one thing that you're challenged by, if you make that your focus, if you make that the lens through which you view all of life, Your focus determines your feelings. It's two years ago this week that Becky's mother, Jerry Lou, my precious mother in love, went to be with the Lord. It was an enormous loss for us, for she was a a bright, bright, shining light in our lives as she was for many of you. It is often that I drive the path which takes me right past the place where she breathed her last breath. It is impossible for me to drive past that place and not be mindful of her. Becky and I have had to walk the same path of grief that many of you have had to walk, filled with questions, filled with what ifs, filled with uh, should we have done this, maybe we shouldn't have done that, did we make all the right decisions, filled with all that stuff. But you know what we can do? We can drive by there every time and we can think of what we've lost, or we can drive by there every time and thank God for the many incredible years that we had with her and the gift of God that she was to us. And I want you to know I've made a determination in my life. I now choose to drive by there and thank God for every day that we had with her. Because in every situation that you're in, whether you've lost someone that you love, or you've gone through a difficult time in your marriage, or something is going on in some area of your life, your job, your your business, your, your children, your friendships, you can look at it and say, oh God, why is this happening to me? Or you can begin to thank God in every circumstance you are in, simply knowing that He still got it all under control. Thankfulness always gives glory to God. And it reminds me how big my God really is. Number four, thankfulness keeps your faith alive. Um, Do you know that God will bless you to the degree of your thankfulness? It's not why you thank Him. But God can bless you to the degree of your thankfulness. The Amplified Version told us this. We read it, that He fell prostrate at Jesus' feet, thanking Him over and over. You don't think that had some impact on Jesus? Of course it did. 
In other words, he initially cried out, Jesus, heal me. And then when he discovered that Christ had healed him, he came back and cried out even louder. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thankfulness keeps your faith alive because it reminds us just how good our God is. How many of you can say with me this morning, our God is good? Number five, last one. And I want you to hear every word of this. Thankfulness makes you whole. Say it with me. I had to go to the King James Version for this to show this to you because it uses the word whole. I love how it said it. Verse 19. And Jesus said, saith unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Can I tell you this, church, this morning? Unthankful people have been fractured in their life, and they are not well. And you may know some. Unthankful people have been fractured, and they are not well. You young parents should teach your children this, that just because someone does something for you that doesn't cost you anything doesn't mean that it's free. Did Jesus heal all ten lepers? Did he charge them for that healing? Did he expect something back in return? You're not so sure. I'm going to say yes, of course he did. Because he said, where are the other nine? You don't think he expected an expression of gratitude? Yes! You don't think the expression of gratitude of the one leper who came back made a difference to him? Yes, it did. You see, just because it was free did not mean that it should not have cost those lepers something. When God is gracious enough to give us something that appears to be without cost to us, it should evoke something within us from a humble heart, and that something is thankfulness. Thankfulness for me... And thankfulness for you makes you whole. Young people, you may not appreciate your parents today. You may not be thankful for them today. But I want you to know something. The minute they are gone from this earthly life, you will cry your eyes out. And in that moment of time when your parents pass from this life into the next, you will desperately wish you had one more moment with them to tell them how much you love them and how thankful you are for all that they have done. Has nobody in this house had that experience? Of course we have. Brent, come and help me. I want no more moving around as I finish this sermon, please. It's 11.45. No more moving around. I want you to listen to this. It's very important. There's a pastor who had a guy in his church who would come about every six months to the pastor and he would say, Pastor, do you know anyone in the church who needs a blessing? The pastor would say, well, let's call him John. John, well, thank you for asking me that. You know what? That's very generous of you. It's very kind of you. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep being uh, uh, generous with your gifts and, and, your, and your tithing and supporting missions and, and doing what you do in the work of the Lord. Just, just keep doing that, the pastor said to him. And John would say to the pastor, okay, pastor, but just let me know if you know anyone in the church who needs a blessing. God has blessed me, and I want to bless others. Well, a few weeks later, a couple showed up in the church who had at one time been in ministry. She was a pastor's daughter. She and her husband had met in church. 
They had at one time been active in ministry, but they had been hurt and wounded in ministry and disillusioned and ended up getting out of the ministry. They settled in this church. And so the pastor got acquainted with them and, and he said, can we go out? He and his wife want to take him out for dinner. And, and, uh, and he said, I, I want to get better acquainted with you. And he said, listen, when I hear about your background and where you come from and what all you've done and how you've been active in ministry and, and what you're able to do, he said, let's see about you serving some, in some area of the church. Everyone needs to be, every active believer needs to be, needs to be serving in some aspect of the church. It's important for you to do that. And the lady of the couple said, well, pastor, We'd love to, but I work two jobs, and my husband works full-time. And the pastor said, well, why, why are you working two jobs? She said, well, I go to work from, from 8 to 4, and then I, I go home with the children. I'm there from 4 to 5.30 waiting for my husband to get home from work. He gets home at, usually at 5.30, and then when he gets home, then, then I go to work at Old Navy from 6 to 10 pastor said, why do you work two jobs like that? She said, well, we have a, a Down syndrome child, pastor, and he's institutionalized in another city. About two months ago, he fell down and busted out all of his front teeth. That's going to cost $3,000 to get him fixed, and we just, we don't have the money. We don't have the money, and so I got this extra job at Old Navy so that I could, I could get the $3,000 to get, get our son's teeth fixed. Well, the pastor's heart was touched as he listened to their story, thinking about them just having to be away from their child in another city, and then the, the incident that took place, and having to work hard to pay for the dental work. And then, you know, and in, and in his own mind, did what I would be doing, thinking, okay, now how could the church help? What, what can we do to help this precious young couple? And the pastor then at that moment remembered his friend in the church, John, who'd said, Pastor, if you ever find someone in the church who needs a blessing, would, would you let me know? I, I just want to bless somebody else. So the next day, the pastor called John, and he told him about the situation. Well, John immediately responded, and he, and, and he, and he asked the pastor, where are you, pastor? I, I, let me bring it to you right now. And he found out where the pastor was, and they met at some designated place, and, and here came John with a big wad of $100 bills. And he, had, he whipped out one at a time, 30 $100 bills and delighted to do it, put it right out there. So the pastor thanked John and he prayed for him and his business. And then right after that, John left and, and he got the pastor got on the phone. And he called the father of the, of the boy, the father, uh, the couple who needed the money. He called him. He said, Listen, I, it, it's a long shot, but are you anywhere near? He told him what his location was. I, I've got something I want to give you. And so it turned out the father was not all that far away, and he came to meet the pastor in the parking lot of a, of a restaurant. So he meets the pastor, and he jumps in the pastor's car, whereupon the pastor told him that he had been touched by their story, what was happening. He said, you know what, there's a guy in our church who just wants to be a, a blessing to, to people, and so here's, here's the $3,000. While the pastor's counting out the hundreds, uh, 30 of them, one at a time in the hands of the father. That young father cries, oh, thank you, Jesus. You heard my prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. My wife can come home. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. The pastor said, it was precious and kind of awkward all at the same time. And then the man stopped. The pastor looked at over, over at him and he said, is there anything else you want to say? The man said, 
No. What do you think that pastor was waiting for? Now, do you think the pastor, pastor needed to hear him say thank you to him? Just like your parents don't need to hear you say thank you. Just like God doesn't need to hear you say thank you. Just like those who have blessed you and been help to you don't need to hear you say thank you. But here's the truth, church, and understand this. You need to say thank you for your own well-being. Not because the other person needs to hear it. You need to say thank you for your own well-being. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Humility is acknowledging that God and other people have had a degree or a measure of responsibility for the accomplishments in your life. That's what humility is. It's acknowledging that God and other people have had a measure of responsibility for any accomplishment you have had in your life. So the pastor looked at him and he said, so there's nothing else you need to say? And he said, no, no. The pastor said, he called him by name Patrick. He said, was his name Patrick? Can I pastor you for just a moment? And he said, sure. The pastor said, Patrick, I'm so sorry for whoever hurt you. I am so sorry for whoever wounded you. For whoever it was that fractured you and kept you from being whole. To make you think that if you said thank you to somebody else who was a part of a miracle for you, that somehow it would take away from God or you. But it's not true. Thankfulness always makes you draw near to God. And the only leper who got close to the feet of Jesus was the one who came back to offer gratitude. He said, I'm so sorry for whoever fractured you. And whatever happened, you see, folks, here's what I know. There are many people in this room today who have been dropped along the way, and you've been fractured. And as a result, you come off as cold, you come off as unthankful, ungrateful, and sometimes you can even come across as hard. But you're really just covering up the fact that you are hurt and wounded and fractured. And you can't be truly thankful because you're afraid that if you put yourself out there or even make yourself that vulnerable that someone else is going to hurt you or take advantage of you in some way. Look at me. Thankfulness draws you near to the feet of Jesus and near to the heart of the people to whom you need to be thankful. And Jesus said to the leper, arise, get up and go, because your faith has made you whole. And my prayer for us today, Bethesda, is that as we exit this Thanksgiving season, this Thanksgiving week, and enter into the advent of the Lord Jesus in the Christmas season, that we will make a renewed determination. Lord Jesus, I want to be whole, and I will do it choosing the route of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done. Thankfulness moves you to do things others are unwilling to do.
Thankfulness allows you to hear things that unthankful people never hear. Thankfulness gives glory to God. Thankfulness keeps your faith alive. And thankfulness makes you whole. And the church said, would you stand with me please? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ. Come on, sing it out. Give thanks, give thanks. Grateful heart, give thanks. To the Holy One, give thanks. Come on, lift it up. And now, and now, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, And now, let the weak say, I am strong. Give thanks. Lord Jesus, as we come before you today, Completing this week of what we call Thanksgiving, we thank you just for the privilege that we have of expressing our heart to you. Lord, if there's any today in the room that are fractured and broken, and it has kept their gratitude to you and to others from being expressed, would you touch them today, Lord? Would you release them from any sense of bondage that they have from that? Lord, let us focus on the things that are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. We're going to think on those things because our focus determines our feelings. We understand that. And the things that could be perceived as negative in our life, the things that we would naturally choose to be ungrateful for, let us see the positive side. Let us understand this, that no matter what comes our way, our God has all things under control. We are in your hands today, Lord Jesus. And so we're going to worship you and we're going to give glory to God for all that you have done. And we're going to bless you. And Lord, we let, need your grace to be upon us for this day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, 